This is On the Record, a guide to English law from the team at Glazier Solicitors. Hello and welcome to On the Record, a guide to English law, a podcast hosted by Glazier Solicitors. I'm Bethany Bailey, the firm's business development and marketing manager, and I have Charlotte Hardy with me here again today. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks for having me again. Of course. We're on the third episode of our probate mini-series. So, Charlotte, what will we be talking about today? Well, we've already dealt with the practical steps to take after somebody dies in the first episode, and the last episode helped people to navigate the minefield of inheritance tax. So this podcast is going to deal with the next stage of the administration of an estate, which is the application for a grant of representation. So I'm going to start off and ask a very obvious question. What is a grant of representation? Okay, so a grant of representation is a certificate which is issued by the probate registry and it confirms that somebody has the power to act in an estate. There are a lot of different types of grants of representation, that being the collective term, but there's three main ones which are probate, where an executor is applying, letters of administration where there was no will and the person died intestate, and letters of administration with will annexed, which is where there is a valid will, but there's no executor able to act because of either death or renunciation or something like that. Who can apply for a grant? There's a lot of different scenarios to take into consideration when answering that question. The simplest answer, as we briefly touched on in the first episode of the podcast series, is if there's a will and an executor willing and able to act, they will apply. There will be occasions, though, where there is a will, but the executor might have predeceased or they might not want to act, in which case the residuary beneficiaries of the will uh, will have the first entitlement to apply for the grant. And in those circumstances, the person acting will be known as the administrator as opposed to executor. There is a difference between those two terms. You might sometimes hear them called collectively personal representative. And that's just a way of explaining that it's the person acting in the estate without having to term them either specifically an administrator or an executor. If there's no will at all, then the authority to act will follow the same rules as beneficial entitlement under intestacy, which means there's a certain order that will allow people to apply. And again, this will be an administrator as opposed to an executor. It may be that the person who is initially entitled under intestacy isn't in a position to apply because either they're underage or they don't have capacity. And there are ways around this. For example, an attorney can be appointed to act on their behalf. Executives can appoint attorneys too, so there is always that option. If you are in a position where you should be acting but don't want to, then there is a way of delegating that power to somebody else. Solicitors quite often will make the application on behalf of executors or administrators, which means that they do all the legwork, all the hard work, fill in the paperwork, and then the executors just confirm that the information is correct and sign it before it's submitted. You mentioned pre-deceased. I just want to make sure that the term is understood. Is that when someone has made a will and the person that they've written down as their executor has died before them? That's exactly right. Yeah. So what would be the procedure for applying for a grant? So the first step, as we dealt with more in more detail in episode one, is to ascertain what the assets and liabilities are. And then as my colleague Emma dealt with in episode two of the podcast series, we have to complete the inheritance tax return. Once the inheritance tax position and the financial summary are available, we need to complete the probate application form. 
There are different ones for solicitors and individuals, but essentially they'll ask for personal information about the deceased, information about the person applying for probate and their entitlement to do this, and information about the value of the estate. The application form will need to be approved by all executors or administrators applying. You submit the application form with the original will and if the estate is non-taxable you submit the inheritance tax return with the probate application to the probate registry or if it's taxable and it's already your form's gone off to HMRC already you get a receipt from them that you need to submit with it so basically collectively you submit in the application supporting documents being your will and your inheritance tax information. At the time that we're recording this podcast, the probate registry in the process of moving all of the systems online. And so it's anticipated that from early 2021, the majority of applications won't involve any kind of paper form and will instead be submitted electronically using a government portal. That means that the uh, supporting information, because they will still need original documents like wills, that will have to be sent separately. At this time, we won't know the for sure the impact that it's going to have on the probate process and the associated timescales until it's fully implemented. The basic premise of what we do, though, so submitting an application, tax information and will information, that is unlikely to change. It's just going to be how it's all put together. So I know the probate process in its whole can be quite an extended process depending on the circumstances. Does the grant have to be applied for within a certain amount of time? So Emma discussed in the last episode that with inheritance tax, you have a certain amount of time to pay the tax before interest starts to accrue. There aren't the same timescales for applying for the grant, but it's usual to apply around the same time as submitting the inheritance tax return. There are also certain things that can't be done before the grant is obtained. For example, you can't actually complete on the sale of the property without a grant of representation. So in some ways, it's a case of the sooner the better. If the personal representative doesn't apply for the grant in a timely manner for no good reason, then beneficiaries can complain and in extreme cases, they can have the personal representatives removed. How long will it take to receive the grant once the application has been submitted? It depends on the backlog of the registry at any given time. Registries are now centralising grant applications to an extent, which means that Instead of us sending it to the local probate registry, it's going to a central office and then they're delegating it out to anywhere that there's capacity, which in principle means that it should be done quicker. The standard time at the minute that we're being told is about eight weeks to either issue a grant or raise any inquiries. The probate registry have actually issued guidance these last couple of weeks to say don't chase them before eight weeks. But if you haven't heard anything by the eight week time scale, then you can give them a call and see what the progress of the application is. The registry will usually contact you with any queries or issues that they have with an application. You know, sometimes when you fill out other forms, maybe passport applications or things like that, they can be incredibly picky. What is the level of pickiness that the people looking at the grant applications sort of apply? I'll answer you that. I will answer that question with an anecdote, if I may. Of course. As part of the old style application process, it's changed a little bit now, but you used to have to submit the original will with two photocopies. Now, back in the day, wills used to be bound by ribboning the actual document, which makes it very, very difficult to photocopy, especially as they also used to be on very long and thin paper. So it wasn't your standard stick it on top of the A4 photocopier and everything, you know, jobs are good. And if you didn't photocopy quite right, the registry would send back your application. If the photocopy wasn't exactly in line with what the actual will was, so if you cut off, not necessarily bits of the words, because I can understand that, but if it was skew if even, it could be sent back. Or if it had 
kind of had a black mark running down it or something, even if it didn't obscure the writing, it could be sent back. So they are very meticulous in terms of making sure that everything is correct. Are there any possible complications with a grant of application? Short answer is yes. There are actually various issues that could arise. So there are various queries that the registry could raise, for example, with the will itself and how it's been executed. So if you've got an elderly or an infirm person and their signature is unexpected, for want of a better word, then the registry might ask for the witnesses of the will to provide what's called a statement or an affidavit to confirm that they were there and that it was the person who's named on the will that executed it. Sometimes as a solicitor, you can preempt queries that the registry might raise and you can actually submit the affidavit or the statement with the application to try and save some time. If there have been any name changes from the time of the will to the application, they'll need to be explained as part of the application and ID may be required. So for example, if an executor was named in a will with a maiden name, but then by that time they're married and have changed the name, then that would need to be explained again to preempt questions that the registry raise. The basis being that you're just trying to save as much time as possible, knowing that it's going to be a while before the probate registry actually get around to asking the questions. We get a lot of people asking whether they need to update their wills if they move. Addresses don't tend to be a problem. They are something that is dealt with as part of the standard application. Issues can arise if anything's been attached to the will or if it's been unbound. So I mentioned before about the photocopying of the will. One of the big no-nos is that you don't unbind it to photocopy it. It has to go to the registry in exactly the same condition that it was executed in. So storing the will correctly is very important as well. Other types of complications are things like a caveat may have been entered. Now, a caveat is a legal document which can be entered by somebody, and the sole purpose of that is stopping a grant from being issued. So these are usually entered by somebody who intends to challenge the validity of the will, either on the basis that the person who made it didn't have capacity or was forced into making it by somebody else. There is a process for having a caveat removed, but a full grant can't be issued until it's done. What is a full grant? So I outlined at the beginning of this podcast that there are three main types of full grant, the grants probate, letters of administration or letters of administration with will annexed. But there are also what's called or what we call interim grants. And these can be used in cases where a full grant can't be issued. Full grant will allow the personal representative to fully administer the estate. So it will allow them to collect in the assets, pay any liabilities and then distribute Interim grants don't necessarily give that power. They will usually allow somebody to do certain things. So, for example, sell a property or collecting assets, but they will have limitations, for example, no distributions. And they can often be issued in cases where there is a caveat. So a grant is needed for the estate in order to be able to do something like, like, say, sell a property or if there's litigation ongoing with the estate to take over that litigation. But the end result is that the person who's entered the caveat is saying that that estate can't be administered until the issues that I have have been resolved. So either we've got confirmed capacity or that there was no dress or that type of thing. The interim grant, is that a different form? Is that a different process or is it the same process? And then they, the people looking at the application will say, we need X, Y and Z, but we understand for you to do this, we'll give you this interim grant. There is a different process for obtaining an interim grant. Uh, Depending on the type of interim grant that you're going for depends on the exact process, but usually you actually have to get permission to make the application. So you have to submit 
a statement to the probate registrar explaining why you feel that an interim grant is needed and then the registrar will issue an order saying that you can make the application and then you proceed to make the application. There's a lot to think about in the probate process in whole and especially when it comes to all the different applications that have to be submitted in the different forms. When it comes to these grants, is there anything that people should know ahead of time or things that might put them a bit of peace of mind or make the process easier? I would probably say one of the biggest mistakes that people make is trying to start the application process before they actually have all of the information. So I would say make sure that you've got everything in order, that you know exactly what there is, exactly who's acting before you actually sit down to try and do the application. It makes it easier for you. It makes it quicker. You're not doing things in a piecemeal nature. Gather everything together and then tackle the application. Well, thank you, Charlotte, for your time today. There's like I said, a lot to go through and we've got a couple more episodes to go in the mini series. Thank you again for your time and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Bethany.